Hello. This is my first evening uh, Facebook Live. I was out tonight uh, with a friend, uh, someone I haven't seen for a while, uh, a guy called Ryan Bell. You may have heard of Ryan Bell from um, his uh, Life After God podcast. Um, uh, we met at a brewery that he works at uh, in downtown LA. We had a drink, we had some good conversation, and it inspired me to do this. Now, I know if you've been watching these Facebook Lives that I'm supposed to be doing part three about liturgy, but hey, I'm in control. I have the iPhone, so yeah, nothing you can do about it. I might do a part three tomorrow. So think of this as a little uh, intervention, a little kind of, um, there's, a, there's a term for it, but it's escaping me at the moment, a little interval. And it actually connects with some of the ideas that I've been exploring. By the way, I have no idea who's going to listen to me at night. Will it be more people or will it be less people? Um, so far, we've got like 18, 20 people. Uh, so that's not bad. And that's going to grow. Um, say hi. You know, let me know where you're listening in from. Now, the reason why I'm doing this is Ryan and I were having a heated discussion about belief. And he was asking me, you know, what do, what do you believe, Pete? Come on, what do you believe? And he was talking about how he had my friend Kester Bruin on his podcast, and Kester had said to him, you know, Peter needs to be more clear about what he believes, uh, or more clear with people. And, um, you know, what I try to do with Ryan is explain to Ryan what I think about belief. So this is a little 10-minute special edition Facebook Live on belief. And my argument is that it's really hard to know what we believe. Now, we think that it's easy. What, what I believe is what's in my head, is what I'm conscious of. You know, I believe what I think, whether it's there's a God or no God, or whether, you know, the world is round, um, you know, whatever. You, you've got millions of beliefs, millions of beliefs in your head, and you can pull them out when you want. And so when someone says, what do you believe? Well, of course you know. It's, it's obvious. You can be clear about your belief because your beliefs are transparent to you. They're in your head. But this is the very thing that I'm questioning. I want to say that, you know, psychoanalytic theory is correct when it says that it's very hard for us to know what someone else believes because it's very hard for them to know what they believe. Uh, you know, take a, a simple example. Uh, somebody might believe that, some guy might believe that all women hate him. Or some women might believe that all guys are uh, duplicitous. Or somebody might believe that they are a terrible person who doesn't deserve to be with anybody. Now, in all three of these, the person is unlikely to know that that's what they believe. Because those beliefs are patently absurd. You know, saying to a guy or a guy saying, I believe all women hate me. Um, that's ridiculous. Of course it's stupid. And, you know, what happens is somebody gets along in life and if you said, do you believe all women hate you? They'd go, of course I don't. That's a stupid thing. How, most women don't even know who I am. How could all women hate me? Or, you know, uh, you know wh how, why would I think that all men are duplicitous? Um, you know, I haven't met all men, it's, it's stupid. 
but actually the belief might still be there and it might take you years to discover it. Or someone says to you, you know, do you hate yourself? Of course, I don't hate myself. I'm, I hang out with myself all the time and I get on with life. You know, I, I'm fine. Now, what happens here is basically when you're young, you know, you have all these crazy beliefs. When you're young, you have ridiculously mad beliefs. Half mythology, half like, you know, where does a baby come from? It's a stork, a stork, a stork, is it a some bird anyway, puts a seed in mummy's belly or whatever. Like children make up all of these ideas and these beliefs. Now, as you grow, you have to become reasonable and rational. And a lot of your crazy beliefs, the chaos of beliefs that you have when you're a child, um, you know, you start to realize, no, they're not um, socially acceptable. They're not rational or reasonable. And so, you know, you start to change at the conscious level what you believe but often what happens is you don't actually change your crazy beliefs <laughs> you just start to hide them um, the effect of those beliefs remains in your body so something happened when you're a child that makes you think that all you know all people of the opposite sex dislike you or that you're a horrible person and nobody could ever love you then, you, you know, people tell you that's wrong and you kind of go, that's stupid, that's a silly thing to think. And you start to move on and you have your conscious beliefs. But then, over years, maybe very, very subtly, you begin to go, oh my goodness, I do hate myself. I do think I'm a piece of garbage that nobody could ever love. Or I do think that all members of the opposite sex hate me, Right? Now, it takes a long time to come to that realization. The more disturbing our deep beliefs are, the, the less connected we usually are to them. And the more difficult it, 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 you know, it is to kind of get to them. Or take an example I did. I used a, something that Darren Brown, the illusionist, um, did on TV. I was speaking at a secular society. And I asked the people, you know, who believes in gods? Who believes in angels and demons, right? And 90% of the room put up their hands saying they don't believe in any of that. So who disbelieves in the devil? Who disbelieves in, in fairies? Who disbelieves in any supernatural stuff? And the hands all went up. So then I asked people to get a picture of someone they loved on their mobile phone. And after they'd done that, I took an envelope out of my pocket. I opened it up and it was a satanic prayer, a satanic curse uh, from the 16th century. And I said, okay, this is a satanic curse that, that is used um, to, uh, you know, bring catastrophe on people you hate. And so what you would do is you would bring to mind the person you're thinking of. You would say this curse and terrible things would befall the person. And of course I said, so who wants to come up and do the satanic curse over the, the, the person on their mobile phone? And the room is quiet and nobody moves. I'm like, I'm not telling you what I believe. I'm telling you what you believe. You told me you don't believe in any of that stuff. So why are you scared of saying some ridiculous satanic curse, right? Because deep down, actually, they still grew up in a religious family, a religious background. And even though they don't think they believe, it's still there. My friend, uh, the comedian Elliot Morgan, he has a joke where he says, I grew up in Florida 
he said, in a very religious family. He says, I don't believe in God anymore. So the only thing I'm sure of is that I'm going to go to hell, right? And, and I encounter this often in real life. People say things like, I don't believe in hell anymore. Does that mean I'm going to go there, right? Because they don't consciously believe, but the belief is still functioning within them at an unconscious level, at a level that they don't understand. So somebody might think they're a theist, for example, they believe in God, but deep down, you know, they have questions and concerns and thoughts. Or somebody might think of themselves as a diehard atheist, and yet, you know, whenever their child dies, um, they find themselves actually going back to the, the faith that they thought they'd, they'd left behind. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. This is not me saying that people are hypocrites or anything. It's like, this is the nature of being human for, for most people, uh, for people who are neurotic, is that, that we don't you know, know what we believe. If we're psychotic, we're usually more in touch. Uh, this is called rationalization. Rationalization is where we attempt to find the easiest explanation for our activity. You know, we don't, we don't go deep. We just kind of like find a surface reason. So there was an experiment that was done around Freud's time where they hypnotized people and got them to carry an umbrella up in a room. They walked around and then they'd take the person out of hypnosis and they'd ask, why did you do that? And the person would say things like, oh, well, I wanted to see if the umbrella worked. You know, I was thinking it might rain tomorrow and I wanted to see if there was a hole in the fabric. In other words, they did it because actually they were hypnotized and somebody used their um, voice and their authority to override their superego and you know, take control to some extent of their actions, of which they were dimly aware. But when they were taken out of the hypnosis, their mind had to find a reason to believe that was more acceptable than, than the reality. So I was talking with Ryan about this and he was in a debate. He was in a debate with uh, um, a religious person and the religious person was saying, no, I believe in God because, you know, how do you explain consciousness if there's no God to create consciousness? And how do you explain somebody rising from the dead after three days if it's not God, right? Now, this person was saying that they believed in God because they were confronted by the enigma of consciousness and this is what led them to their belief. Now that might be true, but I think it's highly unlikely. You know, it's more likely that someone believes or doesn't believe because of the way they were brought up, the books that they read, the stories that were read to them when they were children, uh, what the people around them believe or don't believe. But what happens is that's not a very... Um, acceptable idea to us. So what we often do is we find reasons to justify the beliefs that we already have. Um, so we pretend to ourselves, like, so we find evidence to back up what we already believe. And then we pretend to ourselves that we believe because of the evidence. When in fact, we already believe. It's like on, on Facebook, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's, oh, social media has become terrible with clickbait. So much clickbait. But um, what you find is so many people sharing news articles, usually very bad opinion pieces, that back up what they already believe. The opinion pieces can be, which on whatever side of the argument we're talking, they're usually not that good. 
But what we do is we're susceptible to finding any opinion piece that backs up what we believe and then share it on social media rather than maybe share a piece that challenges our beliefs, causes us to question what we think. We are very susceptible to even really dumb uh, opinion pieces that, that, but, but, that, but that back up what we already think. And then we go, oh, look, I think it because, look, I, you know, it's almost like I'm saying, I read this piece and it convinced me. When you were already convinced and then you found a piece to share. Now, I say not everybody does it, but probably all of us do it from time to time. That's fine. It's not too bad. But to actually know what you believe, this is the Socratic thing, is that, you know, a life unreflected is a life unlived. You know, that, that actually we don't really know ourselves. I mean, it sounds stupid because you're with yourself all the time. So how can I not know myself? I hang out with myself all the time. But the Socratic and the psychoanalytic idea is we, we don't really know ourselves and we don't really know what we believe. I say that, oh, I, I love my, my uh, neighbour. My neighbour's great. I think they're, they're fantastic. But, you know, you never actually call around. And then what you don't realise is actually you're angry, you're frustrated. Or you have a dream. You go to therapy, for example, you have a dream and you share it. And the dream is, I dreamt that my brother was drowning in a, in a lake. And I tried to save him, but there was a glass sheet in the way. And I was watching him drown, and it was devastating. It was terrifying. Now, of course, a therapist might say something like, okay, it's interesting because this is your dream. You're talking about it as if you, know, you were just passively watching, but it's your dream. And you put your brother in the lake, and you put the glass sheet between you and your brother you know, maybe you're angry with your brother. Are you angry with your brother? Now, sometimes, you know, it doesn't lead anywhere, but sometimes you can go, oh, yeah, you know what? I think actually like, deep down I'm really angry with him. You know, I'm really hurt by something that happened in the past. And yeah, but, but you know, you're not even aware of it in yourself. And the dream obviously speaks of it because you're dreaming about your brother dying, right? But you're not aware. You're like, you're, you're, you're thinking that something completely different. So, you know, next time, you know, we think that we understand what someone else believes or what we believe, it's good sometimes to take a pause and to go, I don't know. I don't know. But maybe it's only rare moments when I start to glimpse what I believe. Uh, rare moments of self-reflection, rare moments when my defense mechanisms are down, when I discover that um, I have weird and crazy beliefs. And that actually what I'm thinking about consciously is often a way of protecting myself, rationalizing, actually covering over my, my deeper views and ideas. You know, an example I've used before is where, I mean, it's a true example. I say I love animals. I love animals, but I eat them. And not only do I eat them, I eat animals when I know that the products that I'm buying come from like, you know, farms where terrible things happen. So do I really love animals? Or is that the belief I tell myself because it fits with the kind of image that I would like to have of me? Maybe I, you know, in a rare moment of self-reflection, might go, I don't love animals. I love some animals and some animals I obviously don't care about. Um, now, you don't do that so as to despair. It's when you confront your own beliefs which takes a lot of time 
you can begin to make peace with them or whatever. It's not like often you might be you might be aggressively against certain people and you think, look at them with all their money. They're greedy and they're horrible and they're nasty and they just spend it all on themselves. Now you might literally think that. But actually maybe you could be jealous. I talked to somebody very recently who um, kept saying that they used to think that uh, kind of writing a book and being a public speaker would be something that would fulfill them. But now they've turned totally turned away from that. That's totally rubbish. And now, you know, what they care about is raising their kids. And that's beautiful. And that was amazing. But the person said this five or six times in the space of 30 minutes. And so it made me think, why, why is he saying this five or six times in the space of 30 minutes? And I didn't, you know, we didn't have time to really talk about this, but I started to wonder if perhaps he still actually believed that that's what he should have been doing. This guy was in his 40s now, but he, when he was in his 20s, that's what he wanted to be. And that perhaps he still wanted to write a book. And that's why he kept saying he didn't. <laughs> it's, this is denial. Denial is when it's not, you know, whenever someone says, oh, if you're an alcoholic, you deny it. And you go, well, well, how do you tell? Because if you ask me, am I an alcoholic? I'm going to say no. Well, that's denial. So m maybe you're an alcoholic. But denial is when you deny something when nobody asks. Where someone says, uh, I'm going to go down to the, uh, the liquor store because there's not enough alcohol in this party. And then they say, oh, I'm not an alcoholic. And you go, I never asked if you were. Why are you telling me you're not an alcoholic when I never even thought that you were an alcoholic, right? Denial is when you deny something without even being asked. And so, in a sense, whenever someone's continually telling me that they're not into something, it makes me wonder whether they need to reflect on whether that's actually what they want. And two things happen when you do that. Either you bring it to the surface, you look at it, and then you're actually able to let it go. Or you actually go, you know, actually, I still do want to write a book, right? But either way, you, you know, you confront a little bit of what you believe rather than hiding it, and you're able to do something with it. So I, I hope that clarifies a little bit why I'm not that interested in, in what we say we believe and why I think it's very, very, it's very time-consuming and very, uh, a very interesting thing to actually discover what we believe and discover what other people believe. And it's often very, very different from what we would suspect. Okay, there you go. Um, I wonder, there's lots of comments, lots of questions, lots of things. Hey, Kathleen, uh, there's people from Colorado, Fort Worth, Brisbane, Australia. One more sleep till Australia. I leave for Australia tomorrow and then New Zealand straight after, uh, straight after that. Um, so I'll be packing tomorrow morning and I'll be in your neck of the woods. But I'm not going to be in Brisbane, sorry. Uh, but uh, if you're in Sydney or if you're in Auckland in New Zealand or if you're in Melbourne in Australia, um, please come say hi. Um, there's Luke from Tasmania, Luke uh, Cripps, who does uh, Last Supper stuff, Radical Theology and Practice. He does great stuff. You're doing very cool stuff, Luke. Um, Okay, let me see. Tara says, do you think meditation helps with this kind of thing, getting through the drudge of our stream of consciousness? I think that's great, Tara. I think, I think meditation can. I don't think, like, like anything, you know, it might not. I mean, people don't, you, you know, use meditation different ways. But, um, you know, Pascal said that 
a lot of human problems come from the fact that we can't sit for five minutes in peace and just be with ourselves. The thing about meditation, you know, some people think, oh, if I could meditate, that would kind of like help me be a better person. It would heal me. It would quiet me down. But actually, I think it's the other way around. Is uh, If you can meditate, you already are healthy. Like what, what happens when you try to meditate at first is you can't. That's the whole thing. I mean, that's the point of free association. Free association is in, in analysis where you say whatever comes to mind. The point of free association is you can't do it. <laughs> within, a, within about 30 seconds, you hit something you don't want to talk about. You know, you, you start to stop. If you can free associate, you're probably quite healthy. You know, if you can bring everything up and you can look at things and you're not afraid. So in the same way as free association is what you can do when you're healthy, meditation, um, I think, is something you can do when you're in a, in a good spot. Uh, okay. Philip says, bloody hilarious exercise. I don't know what you're talking about. What kind of exercise? I, I don't do any kind of exercise. Um, or maybe the exercise of listening to yourself. I'm not sure. Um, uh, there's a uh, someone, Bents. Is it B B E A N T Bents? Um, you ask. You're asking. Uh, what can you say about someone who says they're religious, but they they're not religious, but they're spiritual? You know what? That's a great question, and I think I should do a Facebook Live just on that. So I won't say anything quick because I could talk about that for ages. Um, okay. Uh, Evan says, with Ryan Bell's work on the line of atheism, a-stroke theism, what do you think spurns his interest in the claimed beliefs of others? Is it possibly sees the possibility that all belief is the same? With Ryan Bell's work on the line of atheism, what do you think spurns his interest in the claimed beliefs of others? Is it possibly sees the possibility that all belief is the same? You know, I would need more... I, Here's my problem, Evan and everybody else. I read a question, I don't fully understand it. I sometimes think that I do and I answer and then I'm really embarrassed because I completely don't answer the question that you're asking. So out of fear that I will like interpret that in a way that's completely different from what you mean, I will, I will avoid doing it. Uh, that's a first for me, um, but I've, re I've noticed it in myself a few times. I, uh, I misinterpret people's questions. Um, so Daniel says, to play devil's advocate here for a second, what do you think Paul meant when he said it is by grace you are saved through faith? Uh, yeah, well, you know, this is where I'd have to refer you to my talks on faith. See, faith, for, for Paul, I argue, faith is completely nothing to do with belief at all. Belief, so what we think faith is today is faith is about is having belief in something without adequate evidence. So I would say, oh, I have faith that there's cheese in the fridge. My housemate might have eaten it, but hey, I think, it, I think it's going to still be there. But faith, uh, from a theological perspective, is, is, is just on a completely different plane. It's nothing to do with belief whatsoever. Um, faith is, you know, in Paul Tillich's terms, an ultimate concern. It's a, it's, an, it's a mood of being in the world. But I, I can't get into it. It's a very, very good question, but that's the problem. It's too big a question. But I've done lots of talks on faith. You can find them. Promise. I think I've done some Facebook, Facebook lives on them, or I've got some talks on my website. So find where I talk about faith, and um, and also grace. I mean, I, I, 
I've talked about grace elsewhere as well. But I, but needless to say, I don't interpret that in a religious way at all. I don't interpret that as to do with belief. In fact, you know, Bonhoeffer was the one who he found it completely ridiculous that contemporary Christianity thought our beliefs were in our head. Bonhoeffer says that actually the biblical tradition is your beliefs are in your heart. They are they're manifested in um, what's called what psychoanalysts call the symptom. They're not manifested necessarily in your in your actions because your actions can lie, but your symptoms can't. So you know your outbursts of anger, your outbursts of tears, your bad back or your migraine. These speak truths that we cannot speak. So you know it's a very deep in the biblical tradition that that what you believe um, is uh, you know is not on the surface, but somehow what I say in the biblical tradition is called the heart. Um, and psychoanalysis is called the unconscious. Um, all right. You know, I probably have taken up more time than I should have, but uh, I really appreciate you checking in. Um, uh, I should try and get an early night so I can get up, get packed, get ready to go to Australia. Um, uh, remember as well, uh, if... Uh, you know, if you're interested in kind of coming and seeing me, I'm traveling all over the place. But the best thing is Ireland. Come to Ireland at my festival. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, take care. And I'll, uh, I'll maybe try and do one more of these tomorrow before I leave. All right. Night-night. Sleep tight.